Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Brock Lurie, and this is the Brock Lurie Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. You know, the movie Star Wars continues and, and, and continues to succeed in the box office, and we talked a lot about it last uh, week. One of the things I want to discuss, because it's like, uh, it's just, it wasn't the same topic that we talked about, <clears throat> but it's something that I, th- I think would deserve um, additional mention. What if liberalism took over the galaxy far, far away in Star Wars, right? The Star Wars galaxy. What, what would it look like, right? So, Other than the Empire, of course. Right, exactly. Well, the, the, the Empire is a bunch of national socialists. Yes, you're, you're getting ahead of me there, but you're absolutely right. But what would it look like? I mean, we, we love Star Wars, right? After all, it's the most successful movie of all time at this point. But... Uh, and the whole Star Wars franchise is extraordinarily uh, successful. Part of the reason why is it resonates to us. But what if what if liberals just took over the whole program of uh, the galaxy far, far away? All right. Well, I'm going to start throwing out some things. First of all, you you know, being a Jedi would be determined not not something that should be reserved only for a select few. No, no. Everyone should be able to be a Jedi. You see. Regardless of skill set, age. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So what if <laughs> you can't even pick up a, the, the lightsaber? You, uh, if you want to be a lights, if you want to be a Jedi, but by golly, you should be. And if and because we don't want to make anyone feel bad, by not being a Jedi, right? And if if in fact we should have a program where we make sure that everyone who wants to be a Jedi can be a Jedi. I mean, yeah. Sort of a Title Nine situation. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, according to their own logic. Those who feel bad about not being able to become Jedi do become Sith Lords. <laughs> so the, very the Jedi <laughs> qualification structure is what actually drives practitioners of the Force into the hands of the Dark Lords themselves. In other words, if they didn't have those qualification structures that excluded people on the ability of their ability, well, we wouldn't have a Sith problem in the first place. No, there you go. There you go. All right. Here's another thing that you would not uh, that you would have in the galaxy far, far away. You you wouldn't be allowed to talk about the force, <laughs> okay? Certainly not in public places, <laughs> right? No no signs of the force whatsoever because we need to have separation 
of uh, force and state. Force and state. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> no, there, he, there goes Johnny speaking about the force again. You know. Yeah. You hokey know, you, religions. Yeah. Hokey you, religions. You want to believe in your force business? That's your own business. But you know, do it in your own home, please, uh, with your own uh, force study <laughs> groups, if you like. <laughs> That's what it would be like. Um, so you uh, can't speak of the force in the public square. No. No, you cannot. Please do not. Likewise, of course, we would have uh, lightsaber control. Blaster control as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. We need, we need lightsaber control because, you know, these goddamn Jedis, they just go in and they might go willy-nilly and uh, shoot, you know, start killing everyone in a, in a public place. And we need to stop them. How many arms must be severed before we do something? That's exactly right. About this scourge. Yeah, it's it's extremely dangerous. And we're just talking about common sense licensing <laughs> and registration. <laughs> just, it's all common sense. All right. Now, of course, um, in addition to the concern that we have about um, about lightsaber control and you know limiting talk of the force and and the Jedi such, uh, we also, of course, must uh, speak about the very important issue of droid rights. Okay. Uh, droids are, uh, are, are creatures, too, and they're part of this galaxy, and they have feelings, for all we know. They seem to be sentient being, beings, and uh, we treat them like dirt. In fact, we treat them like slaves. We need, right now, to change and alter our entire viewpoint of droids. Droid rights. Okay? Okay. So uh, that, that's another thing that liberals would impose upon the whole thing. Then, of course... It goes without saying that all these, you know, jumps into light speed and everything else, that has got to stop. Okay, that's wildly dangerous. Every time I see these ships going from warp speed or light speed right into the planet, like, whoa, 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 that seems pretty dangerous to me. we got to regulate that. Yeah, the Kessel Run done in 12 parsecs was, must not happen. We need a galaxy-wide speed limit and <laughs> conservation effort because these spaceships have a gigantic greenhouse f- gas footprint. Oh, yeah. The galaxy is, is slowly uh, warming. I just, I just want you to know, <laughs> we've got to stop <laughs> galaxy warming. <laughs> That's a very, I mean, some people call it uh, climate you know, change, but I call it galaxy warming, and I, I think... <laughs> In the old days, it was galaxy cooling, <laughs> but this place is really just getting too hot for us. <laughs> anyway, ah, oh, man. And then, of course, uh, everything, <laughs> everything needs to be controlled one way or the other. Um, and when it comes to um, you know, minimum wage and everything else, that all has to be controlled. All these tariffs, all these regulations have to be imposed as well. So droids making 75 cents on the dollar for every, or yes. for, for uh, Republic credits, for 75 Republic credits for every what, uh, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> well, one, one thing for sure is that uh, all these fighters, you know, there's, there's too many different kinds of spaceships and such like that. Well, we can't have that. You know, these old clunkers like the Millennium Falcon, that's just spewing out all sorts of carbon uh, emissions out there. That, that ain't right, right? We, we need to regulate every spaceship out there. And not only that, but, you know, we can't have them all flying or crazy like they are all over the galaxy. We need avenues and roads and everything else uh, within the space. So uh, as, as they have in Tatooine in the, uh, in the early Yeah, first. we need planned that's right. communities. That's right. Yeah, that's we right. need zoning restrictions. Yeah. We need view abatement problems. <laughs> view abatement. 
All right. So this is the world that the Star Wars would look like. Uh, the, I thought the, the something gotcha. else. I yeah, please. Something else. Well, Star Wars has made incredibly good strides over the years, incorporating human characters of every race, creed, color, gender, and sexual orientation. Right? Right. But the aliens don't have the diversity that I... the humans have. I only saw Hammerhead in one color. Uh, Chewbacca, Wookiees, only come in one color. That has got to change. Right? Walrus head guy is only purple. Mm. The mm. lobster guys from the you know Calamar planet are only lobster colored. What kind of message are we sending to our children? Yeah, there truly is not the kind of diversity we expect among the alien ranks. That's very funny. That's very funny. Well, let me just sidebar about. I always thought that there was such a stupid argument to make in the Star Wars movies where they talked about, well, why is everyone in Star Wars white? Where's the diversity? And I always yell back, the diversity is the aliens. Yeah, it's the Wookiee. Yeah, the the Greedo, (laughs) Snailtooth. There's the diversity, right? Well, first of all, it's not color of skin; it's species. Right. Right, and it, and it assumes. I mean, I, I suppose they're saying it from from an acting point of view that where where are the black people, and and otherwise, and that's fair enough, I guess. But from a uh, a cultural story point of view, these are humanoids. They're not human in the same way that they they don't come from a planet called Earth. They come from a galaxy far, far away, and God knows what planet they actually come from. Yeah, the humanoid. Uh, right, they look like originated us. Originated from humanoid planet. Right, and by the way, there is one character. He isn't black. But he wears black, and there's a black dude voicing his voice. <laughs> Darth Vader is basically a black dude. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And they always ignore that. Well, anyway, so it's, it's getting a little absurd, but you get the idea. I mean, it, it, it's uh, all the things that we love about Star Wars is directly antithetical to what liberals love. Right? We love the regular... If you could sum up in two words... Everything that we love about Star Wars, it's this, rugged individualism, right? It's the, the thing that makes the Empire succeed, at the, uh, no, sorry, the Republic succeed against the Empire in the original episodes and such, and, and now in this, are individuals. It's not as if they all galvanize together and say, let's, let's do this thing together, where as, if, as long as we work as a team, we'll be good. And... They don't have the equivalent. It's not the um, the stormtroopers that, that succeed in the war. Yes, you can say they got together and they made a battle plan around uh, you know the, the the holograph of the planet and such to destroy that. But I'm not talking about that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, there are individuals who make this work. In in uh, Star Wars uh, four, Episode four, the the, the 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 New Hope, that movie, it was Luke Skywalker who you know shot the fire the the one. Big bomb into the into the Death Star, which caused it to blow up. Right? It's all about individuals. Very similar to the Iliad, by the way, in the old Greek myths, um, where Homer basically the whole battle is decided between uh, Achilles on the one hand and Hector on the other hand. That's that's the way it is. You you know that there's a big battle going on with the other men, but the real battle, well, it's those two guys. And it's about individualism at the end of the day. Harrison Ford, he does things his own way, right? He makes things work his own way. He talks his way out of problems his own way. Uh, Not so with uh, so many other movies. So this is what we love about Star Wars. And and if you were to actually impose, we were joking around about this, but the reality is a liberal presumably loves these movies just as much as you and I do. But I wonder if they actually ask themselves the question, 
you know, why do I love this movie so much? It, it resonates with me so much. And the only answer they can have is to say, <clears throat> you know, this is fantasy, this is just for fun, and all that stuff, and Wild West, and, and, and in space and such. But that's not really dealing with the realities of life here, and that's what I, that, you know, we need to deal with the reality of life here. No. The reason why uh, Star Wars resonates with us, it's because it resonates true. That's the point. And you, you brought up this very good point, Ari, a long time ago, which is that what, one of the things that makes us distinctly human is our love of stories. And the more a story resonates with us, well, the more successful it is a story. And, and if, it's a, if it's a story that sells tickets, well, then the more tickets it sells and so on. That's the reason why Star Wars sells is because it, it appeals to our very core sense of rugged individualism, the thing that we believe in. It's, and everything that liberalism offers is exactly the opposite of what we believe in, right? People, I mean, the force, we were joking around about the force and about suppressing it, but, but it's so obvious that the force is really a, a synonym for God, right? God, you know, God is everywhere. The force is everywhere. It, it permeates through our very essence. You know, you, you remember the, the little speech that Yoda uh, brings up at, uh, the, in the Empire Strikes Back? And he's right. But, but to say that about God... And if you actually said that in exactly the same words, but just replaced the word force with God. In a public school. <laughs> well, or, or showed in a public school, they would say you're violating the, that's right. the First Amendment. Yeah. Right? But if you call it the force, hey, that's cool. Right? I mean, great, fine. I, I don't care. He'd sneak it in somehow. But, but don't tell me that this is something that you, would, that you, wouldn't, uh, that, that you would like, that to, to get rid of the force, to not talk about the force whatsoever. To separate, as you say, force and uh, force an empire state, or, or republic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, ask yourself why you like something, yeah, and, and very often you'll you'll discover you'll like it because it actually evokes and and encourages a conservative value. Right, and and that's such an important point because it's not like <clears throat> with Star Wars, those of us of our age who've seen. The uh, first two movies, Empire Strikes Back and New Help, numerous times. Can you tell me just offhand how many times you've seen the original Star Wars? Oh, man. I, it's I, so many you can't even say it, right? I, I probably said 25 times each. That would be a low number. Total in my, in my I'd life. I'd say hundreds of times. Wow. That because it's been on TV, videotape, at people's houses. You know, at least hundreds of times. Sir, you are a freak. Well, it's just you ran into it a bunch as a kid. You just did in, in the ages that we're, we're from. My point is this. We know the story for crying out loud. We know every scene. We know almost every piece of dialogue by heart of a movie that came out 40 years ago. Why do we watch it over and over? If you know the, if, if not knowing the story and having the story told to you is the essence of experiencing a story, what's the use of experiencing a story over and over again that you know? Well, the reason is what you said, because it evokes something primal in us that's important that must be stimulated over and over again to reawaken basic truths within our, our humanity. That's right. And it's something, when, when a story like that resonates, it's profound. It really you, you is. You want to see it over and over again. Um, you know, it's so interesting you mentioned that. Um, my kids uh, love the, the movie Back to the Future. I, I think we might have talked about this movie before on this podcast. Uh, I love that movie, and I'm totally fine with seeing it over and over again. That's Be right. Because it resonates conservative values, without me even calling it conservative values, but it's it, because it resonates things that I believe in. Particularly, you got to fight bad guys, right? And you, you are in charge of your own destiny. And when... 
George hits Biff, you can't help but say, yeah, take that, you mother effer, right? I still want to get up and cheer the same way I did when I saw the right. movie in 1985. Exactly right. And now I just showed that to my kids this morning, the movie, because they saw it in stages, but they saw that, that scene where George actually punches Biff in the, in the jaw, knocks him out cold, right? <clears throat> and my wife, God bless her, she, she said, we got to get going, we got we to go. And I said, sweetie, I, I, we, we've got to be able to see this movie. Please do not interrupt this very cool scene. This is, this is a scene that they will remember forever and ever. Please. And she, it was just, she was not in a good state of mind at that time. But for whatever reason, uh, I said, we're going to watch this. And she, let, she relented. And the kids, indeed, they loved it. And even though I must have seen that scene at this point 50 times, I, I found myself saying, yes, again, even though I know exactly what's going to happen and such. And I, I'm so proud of George for fighting back. And you want to just kind of get in there with him and say, way to go, man, way to go. Like everyone does when he takes the, uh, the fetching uh, Leah Thompson to the dance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sweet, sweet story. And, and how he, everything turns around in the future, in 19, the, the future of 1985, of course, and how uh, he's much more strong and he's much more confident. He changed and, his entire destiny the same yeah. way you talked about that guy, that Dutch boy in Germany. Yes. Oh, never doing that. Never doing Yeah, he was yeah. exactly the opposite of the Dutch boy. So, and the reason why I bring this back to the future up, and because of what you just said, which is we see it so many times, and, and that's your rhetorical question. Why do we see it so many times? And the reason? Because it, it resonates, and we want, in a way, to remember the message over and over again. That is why, of course, when we study the Bible, we retell the story of King David, we retell the, the story of the Exodus, we retell the story of Adam and Eve, you name it, Cain and Abel, and so on. It's, it's, it's important because they are apocryphal and they resonate over and over again about the way things are and the way things should be as well and what, what turns out to be good decisions, what turns out to be bad decisions. We learn from them, and then we want to hear them over and over again. We don't get bored with the Bible. We don't say, oh, here we go with, you know, little David fighting the giant again. No, we, 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 we love that story, and we love telling it to our kids, don't we? Yeah, and the only issue with boredom, I'm glad you said <clears> that <throat> word, is, uh, and, and this goes to holidays too, Christmas, Easter, Passover, or three, uh, Hanukkah, or four holidays, where it's all about the story. Jacob and the uh, Judah and the Maccabees, the birth of Christ, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the Exodus are four stories from those four holidays. Right. And uh, my children get a little bored on Passover because they're they're young. They're three and six. Okay. Passover is or three and five based on the last Passover. Passover is a little slow for them. There isn't there isn't a tree with lights on it. There isn't gifts under the tree. There aren't candles and dreidel and the kind of songs and celebration. And the idea of slavery is a little over their heads. But it's one of those that they will grow into loving and, and knowing once they're old enough to oh, truly sure. appreciate the magnitude. Well, I'll take you one step so, further. So my point is the, the idea that we get bored with the Bible, uh, we might if we're very young and we don't fully understand it. But once you get to the age where you get it, you know? Yeah, but you would, your kids would also be very bored and won't understand what Back to the Future is at the same age. Yes, right? that's exactly so, it. So, I mean, it, it kind of, it's, it's kind of neither here nor there yeah. with or, respect. It's neither here nor there. Yeah. It, it, it's, I'm speaking about more, 
you know, young teens to adult where they they are able to appreciate what the story is telling them. Right, or another movie with, that even exemplifies the point further is a movie like Casablanca, a black and white movie with, you know, that took place 60 years ago. That's even less relatable to young people who don't have perspective on World War II. But as an adult, you go, oh, this is fascinating. Right. You know. uh, now, contrast uh, those movies, Star Wars or Back to the Future or... A Terminator, for that for that matter, right? I mean, even Terminator is, is a great movie in that same sense. You got to fight the bad guys, and and it's not just about fighting bad guys. It's about fighting evil and understanding the things that we can do to ourselves and how we have to check ourselves and such. But th- these movies we see over and over again because yeah, we like the scenes, we like the action, but we also like the message. It's not as if you know, it's a Terminator is a movie or any movie for that matter. It's just a bunch of guys. You know, hitting each other all the time, right? I mean, it's. I could like the movie. I like the the movie Back to the Future because there's a, there's the action shot of, of George hitting Biff, or you know the Biff running into the fertilizer truck and the, and the fertilizer dumping on him. Uh, you know, that's funny too. But if you you could just make a movie full of those things, right? Just punching and fertilizer dumping, punching fertilizer. Dumping. I like it. Let's right. like that project. Right. And it's just a cut, cut and paste with different sorts of. <laughs> right. But you would say, okay, this means this means nothing to me, right? Same thing with Star Wars. You could just make it a bunch of stormtroopers, you know, going do 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 do, you know, yeah, two-hour lightsaber fight without right. any explanation. Right. After a while, it would mean nothing to you. So it's not the action; it's the message that resonates. The action, yeah, it, it's kind of cool for the moment. It helps carry the message. It helps, you know, show the consequences of certain decisions. Yes, but at the end of the day, it's the message that resonates. Now, contrast those movies. I just gave three as, as an example, and I'm sure there's so many others that we can talk about. But Back to the Future, Star Wars, and Terminator. Okay? Contrast those movies that are kind of... They are movies that you constantly want to see over and over again. And you said hundreds of times for Star Wars. God knows why. But there you go. Hundreds of times for you. And contrast it to a supposedly really great movie that won Academy Awards and such. I'm thinking of a movie like Taxi Driver, okay? I saw that movie, never want to see it again, right? There's something missing in that movie. Great acting, sure. Robert De Niro is fantastic. There's a scene there, you talking to me, that everyone knows, but that's, that's not a meaningful reason to watch the entire movie. Or a movie called The Conversation, which also is very deep and depressing, but it's not, it doesn't have a message. Or, and more to that point, a movie that's more recent called No Country for Old Men, right? Which is beautifully shot, but it's a story that has no meaning whatsoever. And in fact, that's, that's the essence of the story that the Coen brothers wants to convey. Sometimes life just sucks. It, it, that's basically the movie that they're telling you. I, I, th- I saw a little bit differently, but I get the point. That's a movie. I, like, I'm wearing a big Lebowski shirt now. And yeah. I consider Lebowski to be the, the Coen Brothers' crowning achievement. It's oh, I'm not saying that all Coen Brothers movies are bad. Right. But I've seen Lebowski 25, 30, 40 times. Okay? We, well, whenever it's on, I'll leave it on. But I'm not talking about Lebowski. Hilarious. I, I like know. Lebowski. Yeah, but, but, but didn't win Best Picture. No Country for All Win, one best picture. Right. But it's not watchable over and over. That's my point. It doesn't matter yeah. whether it's one specific picture. I think there's a little bit more to it than the meaninglessness. I thought it was the, the travels of Satan through the American plane and showing how 
evil he is. So I thought there was a good versus evil message there. Uh, yeah, but but it still wasn't about something. It basically says that evil exists, and that's that. Yeah. Um, and and I don't even know that that's the message that they wanted to convey. But it it, it, it there was no takeaway from it. It there wasn't was, clear one way or another. Yeah. That's what I think. Okay, the the point, point the proof is in the pudding. Do you want to see it over and over again? Answer no. no. Okay. And it goes for all, a bunch of these recent Oscar winners. Yeah. The Hurt Locker, Twelve Years a Slave, The Artist. Uh, right. It, it, these are the movies that won the last few years. They're all unwatchable yeah. more than once. Yeah. It's the, a nice movie to sit down once and that's it one and yeah, out of Africa uh, oh snoozer and there was one uh, the, the doctor the, the English patient the English patient My unwatchable yeah. trash yeah and somehow they, they, yeah. they, they think it's fantastic stuff and it, it's just it's just not Forrest Gump for example another great movie that I like to watch over and over again because it has a, it resonates with a very strong message of you know you can be uh, whoever you want to be as long as you set your mind to it and you have a positive attitude and this is what Forrest Gump was all about yeah, as stupid is as stupid does, and and uh, life is like a box of chocolates, and you never yeah, know what you're going to get. It's all about a good man who's stupid being better than all these brilliant people who are not. Th- good. That's right, that's right. It, and, it, it resonates yeah. so deeply, and and, and, and it's and, nostalgic and it also, at the same time. And I think there's an important point to make. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. take the movie Trading Places. Trading Places is a frivolous little comedy. It is. It's not. It's not one of these important movies, right? right. But it is. That's a movie we watched over and over and over again, and it has those universal, wonderful themes. Yeah. And the comedy scenes are really funny, they're, but they're it's nice. an important story. Yeah. It's, ba- it's based on The Prince and the Popper. It's a great movie, and uh, I-, I love that movie. Thank you for bringing it up. It just resonates deeply. So, um, look, <laughs> that's why I want to talk about Star Wars that way and, like, and, and ask the question, why does it resonate? It's not just cool action. There's something deep there going on that awakens you. Uh, it's, it's very nice that they call it the Force Awakens, by the way, for different reasons I understand. But I like that word, awaken. There's something in a movie that sometimes awakens you and says, this is something that, that we cherish. And if, if you see yourself, as my children do, saying that they're the good guys and now they want to be the lightsaber and they're attacking the bad guys... They're in their head that they're actually fighting bad guys. You know, it, it, it's hard to imagine what it's like when, when you're a child. We forget. But in our mind's eye, we're actually Luke Skywalker or Harrison Ford or whoever we choose to be for that moment. And it's, it feels very real to us. And that's part of the fantasy of being a child. Um, and, and what it's evoking is the conquering of evil, the conquering of oneself, the mastery of oneself. That's what Star Wars is all about. All of which, every single bit of it, is conservative. And there's a joy, yeah, to, joy. to conquering evil. Oh, and I, uh, your anger will, will be your undoing, when right? I, so. When September 11th happened, I had this joyous feeling of when when Bush said we're going to smoke them out and hunt them down. I had this joyous feeling, fe- picturing the American troops going to those hell holes of the world and killing the bad guys yeah. and making them feel the agony that they inflicted on others. That's There's so a true. joy in retribution against evil. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and this stupid Gandhi, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Screw you, you idiot. Seriously. Yeah. It doesn't take into account the truth of that saying, which is retributive. Um, uh, was it... Um, uh, uh, comparative justice or uh, commensurate, or commensurate yeah. justice, and it takes into the 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 it ignores the fact that 
you don't try to kill evil that did bad for things to you for revenge. You do it for justice right. and to make sure that that evil doesn't do it again. Yeah. Justice is a sense of balancing things, right? It's, it's about, about if some, some wrong happens, let's say, God forbid, a murder, uh, then you want to put that guy in jail or if the murderer is awful enough to put him to death as well because there's a sense of balance at the end of the day. It's not a sense of retribution, um, which is in and of itself, it's not a bad thing, by the way. I, I have no problem with retribution to some extent, it's, but it's one of the many elements is why, why we get into the, the penalizing system. Um, but it's about balancing. And much of what we do in our lives is about balancing ourselves and, and balancing society. And that's what I love about the Star Wars movies, all about balance. Now, we, we were talking offline, you and I, about uh, comparing this to Star Trek, for example. And I love Star Trek, too. Star Trek, uh, uh, however, is about bigger things than Star Wars in some ways. And what, I'm, what am I, I mean by bigger things? Uh, where in Star Wars, as we were just talking about it, you, you get this sense of the rugged individual. We talked about that, right? And if and when they ever defeat the Empire or now the First Order, right, you get a sense of, okay, well, they'll return the galaxy to a republic or, or some sort of sense of, you know, people taking care of their own business. You a know, federalistic representational government where people determine their own yeah, the, destiny. There's a sense of their own destiny, right? Yeah. Everyone take care of themselves, thank you very much, which is very much an, an American concept. In, in Star Trek, the reverse seems to be the truth. Yeah, it's Sweden. Yeah. It's, it's the Federation, right? The Federation, you get this idea that it's huge, right? Yeah, the and, EU. Right. <laughs> everything is taken care of. Everything is normalized. Everything is standardized. You know, it's, all ships look the same, right? And, uh, you know, Star Trek, uh, sorry, Federation protocols require the following. There's, re there's regulations of how you wear your sweater. Yeah. And, and they're all okay with that, apparently. It's, it's, everything's about regulations this, regulation that. And, and, and ironically, that's the funny thing. And, and, oh, by the way, all phasers are to be on stun, right? It's never, never to kill. Um, but ironically, the thing that makes us like Star Trek, and I do like Star Trek, is precisely because they flout all those regulations, particularly Kirk, right? Kirk is saying... F that. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to win. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and I, I love that. In, in the second movie, uh, the second recent movie, Into Darkness, that they had, you know, Kirk um, risks, you know, violating the, the, the first uh, prime directive, I think they call it, which is you, you shouldn't reveal yourself uh, to a primitive uh, society until they, they've achieved warp speed. Right? So he, he violates that. Why? Because he needs to save his buddy, uh, Spock. And Spock is too important to him. And that gets him to all sorts of trouble. But we like that about Star Trek, about Kirk. That's the thing that resonates to us. That's the funny thing. They're advancing all these, um, you know, um, socialist structure like like we're talking about. Everything looks so pristine. Never mind that it would never look like that. But that's okay. That's another story. It'd all be graffitied and everything else. Yeah, it would and the toilets like wouldn't flush very well, and there wouldn't be any toilet paper. But that's another story. Yeah, okay, it would but, look like City Alpha Six in Wrath of Khan. You know, when they yes. find them, and it's a wreck. That's a wreck. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what the socialism really looks yeah. like. But but let's play their game, right? Yeah. So they make it seem all so wonderful, and the reality is that it that it, it's really quite contemptible that the whole thing, and 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 everyone's fighting the system. 
so on the one hand, they say this is a great system. Everyone's wearing the same uniform, right? Um, you know, no one seems to have any individualism except when they have individualism, like like Kirk. Um, and you know, he he may be uh, he may violate and flout the rules, but by golly, he gets things done, and he even says so. And that's the thing we like about him. So it's a it's a mixed message that we get from Star Trek. This the sense that everything's clean and orderly except for those bad guys from the outside, and then we have to fight them. But within, within our own Federalist, you know, Federation society, everything is peachy keen if we didn't have those bad guys. And exactly the reverse is the case in Star Wars, right? In Star Wars, uh, the bad guys are the ones who look all alike, stormtroopers and so on, right? That's, that's exactly what they're all about. They, they have all this protocol. They have mind control. Everyone has to report to um, uh, you know, training and everything else. Uh, in order to get mentally adjusted to, to meet... They're clones. They're clones. Yeah. And they have to think a certain way and such, whereas the good guys are all individual. They, there is no uniformity of regulation whatsoever. And that's maybe if I had to say, I, I, frankly, that's why I like Star Wars better than, than the Star Trek uh, thing. And, and the whole force concept is very strong and that resonates with me quite a bit. They don't have that in, in Star Trek. They don't have anything similar to yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's always about science bordering on super science, but it never gets into the supernatural. Yeah. Or the core uh, questions or, or uh, philosophies of creation. Right. That's what the force and the dark side of the force is, God and Satanism, right. basically. That's right. Yeah, you, you have lines like in, in Star Wars, you have lines like, you know it to be true. You know, look within, Luke, and things like that, right? Um, you know, use the force instead of, you know, using your mechanical apparatus, right? Um, and, and Star Trek, there's, there's really not very much of that at all. No, it's all about mastering the technical apparatus. Right. I can catch a guy falling with my uh, transporter thing. Right. You know, uh, I can do, uh, you know, transwarp this, transwarp that from a science point of view. Right. And, and, that, and we watch that here in the 21st century, uh, as primitives by comparison, going, well, that's a really interesting way of visualizing the future or how things will look or be or what the cups of, right, of right. discovery are going to be in, in our own time. But we don't, for a second, ever dissolve ourselves into the stories of Star Trek and go, wow, they're answering the questions to the big... They're, they're giving answers to the big questions. Where do we come from? Yeah. What is our essence? That's right. Star Trek, binds us all Star Trek offers a lot of, you know... It, and I like it, don't get me wrong. I, I like that the notion of gut, you know. He's going with his gut, especially Kirk, right? Um, very few other people, by the way, go with their gut in the Star Trek show. They they all say, we can't do this. Uh, you know, we can't. That's not logical. Yeah, it's not logical. <laughs> it's, the protocol is not right. And, uh, and, and even Bones, you know, he's too shy to do anything. You know, goodness, man, I'm a doctor. I'm not a, such a plumber or whatever, which is funny, right? But there's no gut going on. Whereas in Star Wars, it's going on all the time. You know, by with the use of the force and otherwise, you you can almost feel the the the, the mental waves going on. Even the in, in the new movie with the the girl uh, Ray, I guess her name is, and you see her looking at, at the the new the older woman who's doing the same thing that she's doing, which is polishing this one piece of apparatus so that she can sell it and hawk it at the uh, at the pawn shop, and she wonders to herself, or you know, you don't see her wondering, but I'm sorry, you don't hear her wondering, but she's clearly wondering. Is this going to be me? And I like that. She wonders if she wasn't wondering. She knew that's going to be me, unless something happens. (laughs) In a sense, Star Wars talk about talks about greater things. Yes. 
not about just, you know, what's the technology going to look like in the future. It's about what are we going to be? Who are we? How can we make a great um, world for ourselves? How can we reach closer to the force? Right. Well, well, it's right? about this certain group that we started talking about at the beginning that the liberals would drop all barriers of entry on. Essentially, these Jedi Knights, these people with a direct connection to the force of God who yeah. protect the galaxy for everyone else. And that's, that's where I want to leave it. I want to talk about uh, how, at the end of the day, Star Wars and the whole franchise really is brilliant in so many different ways, not only because it, it resonates so well about, uh, regarding our rugged individualism, but it evokes God over and over again without evoking God per se. And, and people don't even realize that it's tapping into a very core sense of who they are. And if you were to ask them, do you believe in the force? They would very happily say, yes, yes, I do. Whereas if you were to ask them, do you believe in God? They would say, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm agnostic on the subject. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting issue. Um, this is why I so appreciate Star Wars because it brings out the very best in us and I think that's why it does so well because it's people want to, to bring out the best in themselves people want to see it in themselves and, and Star Wars lets them see that in themselves alright well this is Barack Lurie don't go away we'll be right back there's no blood on my Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. All right, this is Brooke Lurie. We are back. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in again. All right, um, one of the things that we're always fascinated as you know, we talk about liberalism, conservatism, not just because. Uh, you know, we're conservatives and we feel strongly about uh, our positions and such and we want to be right and all that stuff. It's, it's not about that at all. It never has been about that. In fact, I think, Ari, I think I speak for both of us when we say, look, we just, we're interested in what works. Yeah, we've said that many times. You've said that over and over again. We're not conservatives because we, we're on some team or we're a fan of a right. color. We think this is just the way to go. Right. For, for example, like we, we're all, you know, we believe in some government, right? We're, I mean, by definition, if we were to say, well, we only believe in conservatism and, and, and the extreme, and therefore we don't believe in any government at all, I mean, obviously we, we don't think that way. So clearly we're, 
we're focusing on what works. We're not taking a position to say that if limited government works great, then zero government must work better. No, we don't say that. Right. right? <laughs> so it's, it's chaos for everyone. Right, because we're, we're focusing on just what works, right? I mean, just like, for example, blueberries are very good for you, but you, you don't want to have blueberries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and only blueberries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Okay, so that, that, that's obvious. But blueberries are good for you. <laughs> likewise, it, it, you know, broccoli, likewise carrots and peas and, and think, you know, all the good stuff in life. So what works is what matters. And we know that limited government is, is, is a truly uh, a great way to, to, to operate. And if, if you showed me that, by golly, you know, 50%, 60%, 70% taxes is great for the economy, well, then I'd be for it. Of course I would be. Because if it's good for the economy, then it's good for me individually. It would be good for my business. And it would be good for my family and my friends and my relatives. I mean, of course I would be for it. Right? But it's, it doesn't work that way. We know that it's actually destructive. All the statistics, all the studies show exactly that. The Laffer Curve principle shows that directly. And it basically says, you know, that, that maybe that the, the peak by which to get the most revenues to the government uh, in any given year is is basically 33 and a third percent, one third. That's the peak. You know, and if that's what you want to accomplish to maximize re- revenues to the government, that's what you do, 33 and a third. So, and, and what we do with the money, well, that's another question altogether. And and whether we want to actually, you know, uh, you know, fatten up the coffers of the government, that's another question too. But if you if you as a liberal want to maximize the revenues to the government, from tax returns and receipts, that 33 and a third is your number. That's the magic number. Not 50%, not 70% or 80 or whatever it is. It actually hurts the very plan that you, you, you like to think. It's the equivalent of eating all these blueberries thinking that it's good for you. It's actually going to hurt you in the end, right? So, so this, is, this is who we are. We, we like to focus on what works. And I, and I think our basic principles are a limited government, um, and understanding that standards matter and that we want to be very liberal when it comes to progress in innovation and the market, and we want to be very circumspect about changing society itself, whether that's gay marriage or transgenderism and all the hot-button issues of the day, abortion and so on. So we, we know that this is what works. Now, one of the things that that uh, I think, Ari, you, you brought up, and it was an interesting point, which is, you know, many, many conservatives think that somehow, you know, we're just seeing a sliding of values over the many decades and the many generations, and for that matter, the millennia. And, and here we are at a time where things are just so out of hand, and uh, people are growing their hair long, and boys don't know if they're girls, and... Uh, you know, people don't even know which bathroom to go to, and men are marrying each other, and the ladies are marrying each other, and dogs are sleeping with cats, and, you know, crazy times. Yeah, nose rings, bad music, bad hairstyles. Right. Things, things that you would never expect are happening today, and, and this is the culmination of an ever-descending um, moral scale, right? Right. And, and if you were to imagine a, a graph, it would be, you know, time from the year zero, let's say, or before then, where there's very high morals, you know, and, and then it, it has a nice steady decline over time. And until we reach the year 2016, where we are now, 
And boy, oh boy, that graph sure is low. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the y-axis would be morals or standards, if you want. And, and we need to reorient ourselves about that because it just ain't so. Uh, I'm not saying that these times are great. On the contrary, I think our standards are falling apart. But it doesn't mean that, the, that we are going to continue to fall apart. The graph that we're talking about really should be more of a, you know, how, how, do, how would I describe like it? Like waves. Yeah, like waves. Think of it like the stock market, you know, how it goes up and down, up and down, right, on a daily basis. It's, it's more like that, but over millennia instead of a day, okay? Um, and there's the give and the pull and the push and the pull. It's, it's, um, it, it's not always this way, okay? It's not a, it's not a completely predictable picture. And, and what we're going to end up saying at the end of this podcast is, is that it's not, it should give us hope because it begs the question, why is it going up and down? Why? Okay. And just in, in the past uh, 50 years, we've seen terrible stuff in the 60s and 70s, right? A, a complete moral decay going there. The drugs, the, the sex culture, the graffiti, the long hair, the lice, the disease, the... The crime. Yeah, the, the, the crime, the disrespect for uh, 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 the parents and, and authority, generally speaking. And then the 80s, right? Suddenly there's this new conservatism that harks back to uh, the 50s. You know, there's not, not that everyone was, uh, there was a problem with, uh, for, for blacks or for minorities or anything else like that. It wasn't exactly like the 50s. It was much better than the 50s. But there was a conservatism that was that was a blossoming. People had short haircuts again. There was a sense of right and wrong. There was a sense of duty to the country. Showering with hot water and soap again. <laughs> right. It was nice. Right. That, that a man was a man, a woman was a woman again. It, there, was, there were certain standards that were coming back into play. And I think that people look back at the 80s, especially the, the uh, 1984 through, through the 1990s, um, as a very positive time. And in the 90s, even, even though Bill Clinton was president uh, for, for most of that, um, also was a pretty good time period, mostly because of the peace dividend that Ronald Reagan had brought for the country, had brought to the country, rather. Um, there were a lot of great uh, tailwinds that were helping the economy along, and, and that's all, all a wonderful thing. But things were pretty good in the 80s and the, and the 90s, especially the early 90s. And so it was the the year, the 2000s, and, and especially this, this past five, six years, where things really have slid dramatically, back to the point where we're beginning to wonder, like, is this as bad as the 60s were, right? Where there's a lot of talk about all sorts of, all sorts of sex, all sorts of openings that, that we would never consider before. All sorts of, and not just in the sexual realm, but just a general decadence and decline related to the hopelessness brought about by that decade. Sure, yeah. Back in the 70s, they called that the me generation, right? The me decade. But it wasn't the me decade. This is the me decade. This is far more me, I put that in quotes, than the 70s ever were. Okay, it's it's much worse, I think. Um, You know, you have, putting aside the drugs, there's more of an understanding of drugs, but we really are scaling back uh, in terms of our, our, our understanding of crime and how to stop crime, the basic elements that are necessary to uh, to have a just society, a society that works. And, and we, we dare not lose sight of that, right? Okay. But 
But let's let's go back in time. Let's go in the way back machine, as you like to sometimes call it, Ari, and and talk about how, uh, just for example, the 1920s, um, the Roaring Twenties, as they called it, there was a tremendous amount of drugs going on back then. They didn't even know the effect of the drugs. Um, there was a lot of uh, licentiousness, if you want. There was a uh, you know a, a misunderstanding of what America was all about. There was this kind of intoxication going on, not there healthy. Was, and there was massive crime in cities like Chicago as the mom moved in, in the opportunities that were presented by prohibition. Right, uh, and and that that was a challenge for the. And we're talking about the 30s as well, and and, and things were not so great in the Depression. There were there were a lot of things that were understood, you know, uh, that that we would still want to have today, which is you know an, an understanding of that men should be gallant and chivalrous, and uh, women didn't dress in, in a an overly uh, you know lascivious way, right? Uh, but and swearing was kind of cut to a minimum and such. At least I'd like to think so. But as you point out so much, um, when when you take see pictures of, of people in the baseball stadiums, they, they dress very nicely. And there's a reason for that, you can say, because they, they don't they didn't have that many clothes. You know, most of their clothes were handmade. And so as a consequence, the clothes that they did have, they wanted to make sure they were nice clothes. And if you only had four, uh, four items of clothes to wear and, and rotate... They would probably be all nice clothes, but but I digress. I'm not getting there. I'm, I'm simply saying that there are, you know, there's an ebb and flow to the moral code. Yeah, and that our perception of yesteryear is somewhat jaded, somewhat by our own perceptions of it. For instance, baseball games, although they might have cost a nickel to attend, because you always, you always hear, well, the cost of tickets has skyrocketed. Well, no, not proportionally based on the actual value of the dollar. Sure. Baseball in those days was a very exclusive rich man's thing because only wealthy people had four hours to spend not working. Right. Watching other guys play a game. Right. So, of course, those people were wearing nice clothes. They were wealthy. Right. And, and there was also a, a greater division between rich and middle class uh, and, for that matter, lower class. And um, there, there, were, there were issues. There were plenty of issues to go around. But there was ebb and flow, like I said. Uh, in the 40s and 50s, things were actually improved very substantially. Uh, from a cultural point of view, there was a sense of, of right and wrong, and uh, there's a sense of getting back to basics and understanding what works. And, and then you don't have to just go to America, of course. You can also go to uh, Greek society and Roman society, which I, I like to talk about quite a bit. Both of them collapsed for very similar reasons. Uh, they collapsed for moral decay. There was a sense that they didn't even know what Rome was about anymore. It just kind of, Rome went out with a whimper. People don't realize this. It wasn't as if there was one great battle against Rome uh, by, by a superior army that figured out how to beat the great Roman Empire. No, it just decayed and to the point that barbarians were able to just kind of, you know, sneak in and not even, not even sneak in, just kind of walk in and, and take the goodies that they saw. And nobody was home anymore. Rome, as as a city, basically ceased to exist. It, it, they all abandoned it, and they went to their uh, their eastern home uh, called uh, Constantinople. And, and and even then, it, it ended up going to disarray and moral decay. Um, and, and then you know the world had to find out again that morality was important, standards were important, and they revived themselves in the form of what became modern Europe um, and. Uh, well, 
not modern Europe in the 21st century. It's uh, a but point you're of view. talking about the Renaissance Europe. The Renaissance the Europe. 16th, there, 17th yeah, there was centuries. a sense of structure again and what is good. And they, they went back to the basics and they tried to learn from Cicero and Aristotle and Plato and and, and really learned you know, the value of education and, and the, a moral code. And that brought things once again back into a, a great achievement for, for society at large. And then an understanding of the rights of man. And without you know, these understandings and getting to, to reach these understandings, uh, much of which uh, was due to an appreciation for God and, and, and seeking God out, Without all that, you know, it started to decay again. And sure enough, it did decay. And then you had the French Revolution with all its madness, and then a strong man named Napoleon took over, and, and the European armies against, again kind of fought against each other. Then there were problems in the, in the, the revolutions of 1848. Um, and again, moral decay. Um, and it just, it, you see this up and down, up and down. And usually the moral decay that results in terrible conflagrations, World War I, World War II, in our recent modern history, is then reacted to with these vast moral corrections where people go, wow, I better learn a lesson from that. And then they say wonderful platitudes that you hope last, like never again, in regards to the Holocaust. Right, right. You know, as we discuss uh, about Ronald Reagan all the time, one of the things that he brought to the, to the presidency, to the, to the White House when he came in, is a sense of decorum and, and values and rules and structure. People went to the White House and worked in the White House with ties and jackets again. They uh, had a sense of protocol. And it kind of, you know, kind of in the same sense that Giuliani brought the broken windows uh, policy to New York, I think Ronald Reagan brought a broken windows policy to all of America and said, these are our expectations. America is great, and we need to make sure that she remains great and, and brought an education value and it brought a cultural value, a sense of God to the whole equation, a, a love of the differences between men and women, which is so critical, as you know, as we, we, as we often talk about. And, and the 80s were a glorious time. Yeah, and it comes down, I'm so glad you said that, to respect. See, Ronald Reagan had the respect for America and for us that he treated our Oval Office, that he was blessed to preside in for those eight years, like it was a sanctuary that required him to dress a way that showed respect for the office. Right. Unlike our, our current inhabitant who loves to put his feet on the desk and act like it's his own litter box. Yeah, he, he doesn't understand uh, what he's actually doing as president, but that's another story. But, but you're right, he, he does convey a message uh, that eventually flows down to the rest of the country, and, and he leads by example, and, and it's not a good example. But so what do we take from all this? Here's what I think. And it's, it's very, in a sense, uplifting. We are not doomed. In other words, it's not a question of just seeing the boulder going down the cliff until it hits that, that wonderful house, you know, and right. you say, well... Why are we coyote falling off yeah, the cliff? It's just, it's just not going to happen, right? It's, uh, you know, it, 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 there's not an inevitability to it like a boulder going down that, that, that hill, you know, only to see, you know, the poor village being ultimately destroyed. No. Because, because if it were the graph that we first discussed, where, where it is just going down, down, down all the time, well, then we might as well just give up, right? What, what's the point of fighting, right? It's, it, it's the equivalent of, you know, a little ant trying to stop with, with, with his little hand, if you will, trying to stop that big boulder from rolling over him. It ain't going to happen, right? <laughs> he's he's going to have to, 
you know, bear the brunt of that boulder, whether he likes it or not. So we, we dare not, we don't want to be those ants, right? We, we don't want to see ourselves as the ants trying to thwart the boulder from, from crashing upon us. We're not the ants. And on the contrary, it's, and, and the boulder is not even a good example. It's, it's, not, it's not a reality. Yeah, it's an illusion. That's what, that's what a lot, yeah. of, uh, a lot of we conservatives will, will view the whole picture as. But it's not that. The reason why conservative values triumph is, is when people want and push for conservative values as the, the answer with a capital A. That's when things work. And it was acknowledged uh, in 1980 when we voted for Ronald Reagan and, and again in 1984. It was acknowledged um, in, in 1992 when Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor. 96, I think. 90, um, was it 96? 94. Okay, it was early. I think it was early nineties in that era, yeah. and it was acknowledged when the Gingrich Revolution happened in Congress. That's exactly right. Good example. All of those things, all of those moments, by the way, happened at times when the decay was so bad. Uh, you know, let's let's face it: the Carter years were just extraordinarily bad. That the the nation just turned to conservatism and said, "Okay, fine, we surrender. Please, just we need grown-ups in charge once again." Okay, it's it's we don't want Lord of it's Lord of the Flies. We've all been eating each other and cannibalizing each other and killing each other in every other respect. We need some structure. Please give us the structure. Then we we take over. We we give them the structure. Things go swimmingly well, and then they forget. They they say, oh well, you know, things are great again. Let's start you know going into our moral decay again. Yeah, it's, comfort, it's a pattern. Their comfort becomes so overwhelming and such a buffer to them that they fall into the the decay of decadence again because they forget what got them the good times. That's right. They, they forget what led to all those glor- that glorious things. Just like the 20s. The 20s was a great example of that. Um, and uh, the reason why was Calvin Coolidge. He was a fantastic president. He was a, a president who sought to do as little as possible in terms of interfering with the government. He retracted government dramatically because he didn't believe in big government. And look what happened with the 20s. It was fantastic. And before you say, oh, but that led to the Great Depression... No, it didn't. Okay, there was a, a good old-fashioned a dip in the market, and it was the way we responded to it by picking at the scab and over and over again and letting it get infected. That suddenly we say, "Oh my gosh, now we have gangrene. We have to take you know, we take off the leg." If we just let it go in the ordinary course, it would have healed itself. Yeah, well, what they did at the time was essentially Obamacare. They brought a socialist solution to a non-socialist problem. The socialism caused bigger, caused bigger problems. FDR comes in and says, aha, I know what you need, more socialism. Right, and so that was the answer. Uh, but, but, but let's not get into that too much, but the, the point is that the great, great times resulted from the 20s because of limited government and conservative values, and um, it... it, it the lessons were never learned. And when, the more wealth they got, the more they decided that they needed to become more socialist. This, happens to, this happened to Sweden, by the way. Sweden was one of the wealthiest European countries. It was capitalist in nature. And then they had so much wealth, partly due to oil, I suppose. And they said, let's be socialist because there's so much wealth to spread around. Not realizing that that, that would be their death now. Right. And, That's and, exactly it. Yeah. So it's the, the point that both of us are making. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's going to be this ebb and flow. So, so let's say tomorrow uh, the nation cries uncle and God willing we nominate elect Ted Cruz. and elect, and elect a, a Republican, preferably Ted Cruz, 
uh, you know, hopefully he's just such a strong candidate. But whatever, we we vote in a good, solid Republican, and uh, great things start happening. Okay, then you know, give it five years, four years, five years, six years. When the wealth is, is spread along, everyone will start talking the same mantra again. Shouldn't we have universal health care? Shouldn't we have universal cars? Shouldn't we have universal computers? Whatever it is, universal. Everyone should be able to afford um, uh, university. Yeah, all right? the, essentially they always say, I know things are wonderful. I know it's great. But you know, one child is going hungry and we can't have that. That's right. Yeah, they, they're constantly Ignoring the fact that he's probably on a diet. Yeah, so, so then it goes to the same cycle. So that's why the graph is more like a sine curve, right? Yeah. Where, where it goes way above the, the graph for a while, then it dips down below the graph for a while. Way above, way, way below. And that's the way it's going to be. Now, what does it take? You know, there was a, a cute movie a long time ago called uh, Starship Troopers. And this is a, a movie that I like a lot. It's very kitschy. And uh, my brother, who was a movie critic, called it... Uh, uh, 90210, A Space Odyssey, <laughs> because the, the kids were so perfect and everything else. And it, was, it really did remind you of 90210. But putting that aside, you see them in class and their professor uh, talks to them about the history and, and how democracy, as it used to be, had failed. And that democracy is not a, you know, and he asks the questions to the students. Why does democracy always fail? And the students raise their hand, they say, because you cannot give power to the populace um, because they do not know better. At some point, you need to have a strong person in charge. And, and, and I always thought to myself, that it's an interesting, it's a sci-fi thing, of course. But that particular point, I wondered, like, what great moment caused it to switch from a democracy to the dictatorship and what they perceived to be a better world um, because everything was so organized and such? What was the realization moment? Right, because in, in that new world, dictatorship or otherwise, everyone was clean cut. They 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 had a certain degree of freedom, so long it was as long as they kept along with the government program. But I was interested in that. What what does it take? And I'm convinced for for conservatism to really take hold again in a meaningful way, things have to go really really badly. I mean, I'm talking to Jimmy Carter badly, and then the the nation. Awakes, you know. Talk about the force awakens, right? That's what it takes, and I, I think we're beginning to see that with the Tea Party, of course, and we see it with a revival of uh, of, of religion and spirit spirituality that I'm so pleased to see in this country, and a sense of what works. And we also see it with the behavior of our political and ideological opponents on the left, getting more and more out of phase with reality. A new story today on, I believe, East Carolina University has now equated rubbing uh, neck rubs with sexual assault. Oh. Well, nothing does wonders to bringing normal people back to conservatism like craziness from the other side. Yeah, it's, it's very weird, right? I mean, on the, on the liberal side of it... Um... I thought that the, the give and take, the quid pro quo that liberalism offered is, hey, look, we're going to con- completely control your lives. Uh, and the only thing that we'll be very liberal about is um, uh, sex and drugs. Okay? And, and they are very liberal about that, after all. I mean, you can go around in your yoga pants and you can have as much sex as you want and such like that. But, but for some reason, especially on college campuses, they have these codes that are exactly the opposite of what they proclaim. And I'm not quite clear how to 
how to reconcile the two. Yeah, because it, it, from our perspective, as, as kids of the 80s, mm-hmm. we, where we actually is, did Jerry Falwell come up with that? Yeah, exactly. What, what, what Christian evangelical, uh, you know, type butt came up with that? Yeah, I mean, it's t- it's t- I mean, to me, on the one hand, I think it would be really great as a guy to be on college campuses today because there's only 40% men compared to 60% women. Okay, fine, and, and and you can have the time of your life. You have, you know, these women are all chasing after you. You don't even have to be good looking. You can be a regular Joe as long as you're not hideous. Uh, you're gonna meet some nice ladies, and a lot of them too. And uh, on the other hand, you have to worry about um, every somebody... single contact with any of them, right. right? You have to worry about every single contact, and you, you know, every time you say hello to somebody, maybe that's considered rape. Yes. For all you know, I, I, you know, and and what kind of. <laughs> And then you might be thrown out for, for you know, saying "Have a nice day." I mean, what, what, that could be hate speech. I, I don't know. I don't understand you, college people. You're crazy, in my, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, you have no sense of reality at some point. So I, I think they're, they're hoisted by their own petard. On the one hand, they they, they want to be all free and loving about uh, sex and drugs, and I think you know what's funny. Now I get it. Now I can reconcile it. Here's the thing: A liberals must be liberals. They are fascistic in impulse in, in everything they do, right? Like I always say, liars always lie, cheaters always cheat, lazy people are always lazy, right? Mean people are always mean, yes. right? Liberals are always liberals, right? They, they have no choice but to control your lives, right? They say on the one hand, you know, you can do whatever you want and the quid pro quo is that you can, you know, sleep around as much as you like and there's no sense of guilt, but they can't, they can't stop themselves. They still have to control even the sex part of the lives. And that is itself ridiculous. And interestingly, it's we conservatives who are saying, you know, the ones who believe in tempering yourself when it comes to sex, and in some cases, waiting until you're married and such like that. But at, le- at the very least, you know, not going willy-nilly and having wild sex all the time and delaying, uh, you know, marriage and everything else just for the sake of, of having orgasms. You know, we're the ones saying, hey, liberals, you're going too far. You know, easy with the sex control stuff, okay? Cut it out. We need to control ourselves. You don't control us. That's the whole point of limited government, isn't it? Right? That's entirely it. it. Right? So in the same way that we say, leave us alone, get off our back, we'll handle ourselves our our own way. Thank you very much. And we think we'll do a, a much better job of it. That's the same thing in the sex world. Okay? But anyway, I, we're digressing a little bit. Um, the, the morality issue is what's so imperative right here. And how the pushback is coming. And I like it. I, I, I think, you know, sadly the reason why is that the, the moral decay has is, is gotten so bad that I think the, the United States is giving up altogether. But, but just like you said, Ari, with the, the, the whole uh, sex control on college campuses and the speech codes and everything else, people are saying... Cut this out. You know, they're going to run to conservatism because conservatism at least gives them real freedom. Yeah, you can, you can sleep around as much as you like. Yeah, we, we don't respect it. But you've got the freedom to be stupid. You've got the freedom to fail. Right? I and mean, it's the same thing with what you do with kids. If you keep on telling kids, don't do that, don't do that, what do they want to do? They yeah. want to do that. And, and there's, another, but there's another really important aspect to this. No, but let, 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 let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just to, now that I realize that there's one point, which is if they, if by contrast you say to your, your kids, you know what, uh, you do what you need to do. Uh, you know, I respect you. 
you know, I, I think you'll end up doing the right thing. You know, here are the keys to the car, and you just pray, of course, but they won't abuse it. It's, it's really surprising. Here's an example of, of what I'm talking about. Uh, as you know, I raised my kids basically vegan, with the exception of fish, so pesca vegan, right? And I, I do it because, uh, you know, I, I believe it's the healthier approach and such, but, but let's not, we don't have to go into the value of that necessarily. But the point is, there's a structure that I believe in and I'm giving to my children. The same thing with my Judaism. I, I teach them about Judaism and I love for them to learn about Judaism. And I say to them on both those things, you know, it's up to you. You know, uh, you don't have to be vegan. And, and I said that to them when, when my older son was six years old. And he said, well, we're not allowed to eat that. He said to my my younger, my daughter, who was at that point four years old. And I said, oh, Max, listen, uh, no, I, I want you to be vegan only if you want to be vegan. I think, you know, you're, you're old enough to, to make good decisions on this. And I was terrified on the inside, but I saw his face, and he was, like, really excited about it. Yeah, I'm vegan because I want to be vegan. Thank you very much. And I said, yeah, if you wanted to try meat or something like that, it's, I'm not going to stop you. I'd be a little bit sad, but it's up to you. You're a big boy now. And don't you know, he is the biggest proponent of veganism now, right? Had I, you know, put the kibosh and try to make him, you know, you know, you know, a son, is there, is there cheese in that? Is there meat in there? And, and constantly looked over his shoulder and everything else like Whippings that. Whippings for dairy products. <laughs> well, okay, all right. But, no, but, I'm saying, but, but those would have... Yeah, but, but, but being very strict and, about it and just, yeah. you know, constantly saying, okay, is this it? Come on, son, are you going to be doing this? Are you going to be doing that? And... And, and he, would, he would run to eating meat. He would love to sneak it so long as daddy's not watching, right? Right, because he would have made the suggestive lifestyle choice a, a real drag and a big burden rather right. than a, a, right. his own choice. And likewise, going back now to the sex on campus, uh, they've made sex such a, um, a scary thing for them, such a foreboding thing to do. I mean, you're better off just not having any sex at all um, and you know, do, engaging in you-know-what, uh, you know, self-gratification, uh, we'll call it, and not even uh, looking at the girls. In fact, uh, you know, the girls are in one area of uh, the campus and the boys are on the other area of the campus and uh, ha- have fun. And well, that's it. And in fact, it, it's gotten one more step, which is the best thing as a man that you can do is to be gay. Yeah, apparently. at least you're a protected class. Yeah, that's a good point. But, but okay, so you, that's, that's all they have at this point. So sex is, is a scary thing for them. In fact, if anything, it's, it's making it more enticing to do even more reckless sex than ever before because it's even more taboo than their parents ever made it. The, the schools are making it more taboo than ever. But like I said, liberals always need to be liberals. They have to do liberal things. And they can't carve out exceptions like they, they had wanted to. It turns out they just can't control themselves. And, and the good news about all this, again, is, is that we have an opportunity now that the world sees conservatism as the right policy. At the end of the day, I remember when Ronald Reagan became president, and I didn't, I didn't know too much about politics back then. I, Jimmy Carter, you know, my parents were Democrat, and Ronald Reagan. But I remember thinking to myself as a 17-year-old at the time, I thought... I think the grown-ups are in charge now. And I liked it. There was a sense that somebody was going to be uh, respectful, somebody was going to bring in uh, decency and standards, and we're going we're to actually have a good country now. 
and I was right. And God bless this country. God bless Ronald Reagan for, for doing that. But Ronald Reagan was in many ways a product of his times, right? He was a, the right man at the right moment because the country needed conservatism. And he was the perfect man to embrace that and to deliver it to the United States of America. And may we have that again. And I think we will. Thanks in large part to the bizarre behavior and policies of one President Barack Obama. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk with you next week. Thank you very much.